Hey everyone, welcome to What Are You Watching? I'm Alex Withrow and I'm joined by my best man, Nick Dostal. How you doing there, Jesse James? Oh, you fuck is Jesse James? Bitch. Who the fuck is Jesse James? God <laughs> damn it. I was thinking about who you were going to go with and I never would have thought that would have been it. Oh. What are you watching? Deep cut right there. That's for the fans. The fans understand. Well. My plight. All I know is that my ambition far exceeded my talents. <laughs> I'm excited to be here. <laughs> uh, Blow, 2001, directed by Ted Demi, starring Johnny Depp. We are keeping our Ray Liotta streak going here by picking, picking not only a movie that also features Ray Liotta, but a movie that I would say is very heavily influenced by Goodfellas. You have first-person narrator, rags to riches to rags narrative, a lot of cocaine use, Ray Liotta, killer soundtrack, similar editing styles. We're going to talk about what blows about in a bit, but I want to jump right into the biggest selling point of this podcast, which is that dedicated fans of the pod know if you go all the way back to episode one, that Blow is Nicholas Dostal's favorite film of all time. So before we get into anything, even what the movie's about... <sighs> Tell me why that is. Oh, God. I never thought this day would come. I'm so, so excited. Uh, uh, to quote you, why? Why Blow? Why is Blow my favorite movie of all time? That was a decent, decent impression. I'll give you like decent? a four. Decent? Four out of ten. Uh, four out of ten? I Am Alive was like a nine, was a nine out of ten. Jesus Christ. <laughs> I didn't even get ten out of ten on that. Son of a bitch. Well, I guess the only way I can really kind of sum it up, I first saw Blow in my college years. I had just started acting. I had just found my people. I had just kind of really found myself for the very first time in my life. And I was watching movies all the time. I was I was just a sponge of everything when it came to acting or film or theater, anything, anything and everything. I was living with my mom and I was in my childhood room watching this movie and Johnny Depp was my favorite actor at that time and I had never seen Blow and then from the second it started with that opening Can't You Hear Me Knocking I was instantly just attracted. It's a fucking banger way to open a movie. God. Banger way to open. The American flag logo on the title card, the shine. No one does that anymore. That used to be big in like 80s and 90s. No one does that shit. I love that shit. No one does it. It's it's, uh, what maximalism. You know, everyone's into like minimalist, myself included. I've done the minimalist thing too, but it's it's so maximalist right away. I love it. Yeah. It just hooks you (laughs) right away. The movie moves through eras. It moves through George Young's life in a very specific way that was just resonating with me because I was going through what I kind of truly believe was my first real era of my own life. I recognized it. And I'm watching this movie and I'm watching that same thing happening for George Young in this moment, like the 60s, for example. And then we just move through his life. Eras go on. Certain people have left. Certain people have stayed. And I started thinking to myself, I go, I think this is what life is. I think this is our, our lives are just a series of eras where the people who mean the most to us are here and maybe they're not meant to stay or maybe they will stay or maybe they'll come back later. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I just sort of saw life. And obviously, I mean, the fact that, you know, he's a drug dealer and everything, that's the movie story. 
But I was connecting on something a little bit more deeper here. I just really, really felt touched by that. And so I think that's the biggest takeaway that I have about this movie. But I also, I I love Johnny Depp's performance in this. I love the meaningful relationship he has to his father. This movie really touched a lot of my stuff with my dad. Mm -hmm. Even though my dad and Johnny Depp and Ridley Yoda's relationship were not nothing like my father. But for whatever reason... I think of my dad when I watch this movie. Maybe it's the drugs. <laughs> it's not a far off, far off shot. That's why. But can you hear me, Nugget? <laughs> th- there's something there, though. That I maybe it's just the the father son relationship in this movie that I just really, really loved. And I'm like, I think of my dad. So like, there's just a lot, and I I don't think there will ever come a movie that will knock this off for me. And, and every time I watch it. It still, it solidifies. There's never a moment where I'm like, I wonder if this is the time where I'm going to lose my feeling for this movie. Never does. Never does. That's the difference of it being your favorite film. Because you're not, when something is our favorite, when we love movies and cinema, it is not just what is in the movie or how it is made. It is based almost exclusively on an emotional connection we created with that. Probably the first time we watch it or the first couple times. And that sounds like what you were going through. Like you're kind of in an era of, self-awareness, self-awakening, and, you know, you're latching onto that. Whatever reason we latch onto what we latch onto and call it our favorites, that's all subjective. Like, that's up to us. I mean, my favorite is Taxi Driver, and that is probably, like, the number one movie that gets the most shit in terms of, like, film bro culture. Like, anybody who likes that movie, like, just sucks. Like, it apparently online, liking that movie personifies you and encapsulates you as a certain type of film bro douchebag. And that's fine that people want to think like that. And maybe there are some people, Taxi Driver is their favorite movie, and they are a douchebag. Like, I don't know. The reason why that movie is my favorite is not because it's about, like, some, like, vigilante psychopath. It's so much more. It's about when I discovered it, what the shot of a camera just, like, going right, what that did to a guy talking on a payphone, and then just goes right, what that did to my psyche and how that exploded all of this creative energy in me. We've talked about all this before, but yeah, it just all goes like, I think some people can hear, they can get a little intimidated by that. Like, what's your favorite movie of all time? When I ask people that, I'm not asking for your like Roger Ebert examination, explanation into what is the greatest film ever made. It's not what I'm asking. I'm asking, what's the movie that hits you the most? I know some people who fucking love movies and know a lot about them and can tell me with a very concise, good argument about why the original Lion King is their favorite film of all time. I'm like, okay. Yeah. And it always goes back to something of, I saw it, you know, when I was young or I had this attachment to it. That's almost always the case. We have to have some sort of an emotional attachment to it. So I don't judge anyone by what their favorite movie is. And I also don't think that what is in the movie is a reflection, like just because this movie's all about Coke, that does it. That's not one of the reasons that you like it. You know, not at all. Exactly. It's all about when we find it, and how we connect to all the different aspects of it. And then, to your point, the real greatest test of if a movie's going to stay our favorite are the repeat viewings. Because this movie's now 21 years old, and if you're still watching it, and it's still hitting for you that much, then something is working for you still, because it's not changing. You know, watch a lot of movies that have gotten worse with age. Movies don't change, we change, but they're dated, whatever it is. And it's just so cool to hear. This is why I wanted to do this one. I want to talk about Ray a little more, of course, but I did also want to hear, like, 
why you know why this movie has so much holds so much reverence for you and that's great yeah and and you said it perfectly like usually our favorite movies whatever whatever hits very rarely would i imagine that it's just the story mm-hmm. like like there are certain movies where the story is the star mm-hmm. but like there's nothing about the story of blow that we haven't seen before exactly i mean exactly there is nothing new under the sun about Blow in terms of the story. But what is fresh about it, it's the movie's individual take on that story and the Mm -hmm. way it depicts its characters and the way it just kind of moves. Yeah, I'm actually, we're going to get the plot and the critical reaction to it out of the way early here, which latches on directly to what you just said in terms of, this is a movie that lives in the shadow of other movies. Like, uh, we just recorded the Goodfellas podcast that does live in the shadow of Jules and Jim, believe it or not. Blow lives in the shadow of Goodfellas, Boogie Nights. And when I watched this movie and when I still watch it now and when I listen to Ted Demi's commentary for it, never in there do I hear like, we were the first ones to do this. We were the never. ones who did it first. I'm always hearing callbacks and appreciation to other film. I mention all this because... I went back and read a lot of reviews for this. It was not it was critically received like decently, but still to this day it has a 55% on Rotten Tomatoes, which that site's bullshit for a number of reasons, but that number still did shock me. And the general theme of the critical analysis of the movie is this is a carbon copy of Goodfellas and Boogie Nights. And my reaction to that is okay. I definitely see their influences on it, but Ted Demi never said that he wasn't using those movies as influences. So like when did that become not okay to like reference yeah. other movies' editing styles, even like their voiceover styles, their film stock styles? Not only when did that become not okay, but when did that become the main source of contention and criticism? I just found it, frankly, to be very lazy. I thought that in the moment, to go back, you know, very broad strokes here, Blow is a true story about how an American guy, a good old American boy named George Young, became a major cocaine trafficker for Pablo Escobar and the Medellin cartel. George Young is played by Johnny Depp, as mentioned. The movie comes out in the beginning of April 2001. Again, to some acclaim, the main thing this movie had on it was that it was made by New Line Cinema when New Line was really hitting good and they knew how to market the fuck out of their movies. So I saw this preview everywhere. You heard Black Betty on the preview and you're like, whoa, I got to see this. So my mom took me opening weekend to the theater. So we're like, see this, my mom. Oh my God, she loved this movie. Oh, the this, memories. I never I would knew say. that. I never knew your mom loved this. Oh my God, she had the fucking soundtrack, played it constantly. She loved the CD case. The CD case was a mirror with a giant line of Coke on it. So you would just look at it and be like, what the hell? It was so great. Oh man. Ram Jam, this was her music, one of her favorite bands, KC and the Sunshine Band. They're used so oh, well. I love this. Oh, she loved this movie. Yeah, she really, really liked it. And you know, the movie comes out in the spring, it's marketed well, it makes $83 million on a $53 million budget. That is movie star Johnny Depp right there. When you hear me complain about how we don't have movie stars, that is a movie star selling out his movie. And that's yep. why people go to see it and because of good marketing. But again, critics are a little meh on it. Um, You know, not only that, like a month after this movie is released in theaters, theaters are bombarded with The Mummy Returns, Shrek, and Pearl Harbor. And if that sounds silly to you, I I mean, those were huge, three huge movies that came out directly after. They all made a shitload of money. And like, point is, Blow just 
really wasn't, it didn't have a lot of staying power in the theater. We just recently talked about how April, especially back then, not the best time to release a movie. So I do wish critics were just took it a little easier. Even Roger Ebert kind of went in on it. And I, I watch it now and I go, nah, I don't think that criticism lands for me. Like I see what you're talking about to some degree, but this is not that like, you know, on the Goodfellas podcast, we talked a lot about depiction versus endorsement. It's a lot of the critics who said that they're just like glamorizing this lifestyle. And I'm like, did you stay around for the end? Like, what the oh fuck? Oh, my God. I mean, Jesus, yeah, like, Jesus what are we Christ. Talking about? Like, I don't. OK, did you just watch the first 30 minutes? I, I don't. It's making something look cool. And then an hour later, showing the very serious downfall and implications of that quote unquote cool thing in this instance cocaine they're showing the full arc of it i don't know i just so ah, it's just fun to be doing this so um let's jump in let's start right away with the man who made it mr ted Demi. that's jonathan Demi's nephew jonathan Demi, director of something wild and silence the lambs of course philadelphia how familiar are you with ted Demi's work honestly the only other movie that i've really seen from him is the ref yeah, so big friends with Dennis Leary. He directed yep. No Cure for Cancer, that stand-up special. Dennis Leary is yep. a producer on Blow. So you've never seen Beautiful Girls. That's interesting. I've never seen Beautiful Girls. Has a lot of uh, – that uh, is a risky movie at times, but it definitely feels like a Ted to me movie when you go and watch it. I'd be really interested to get your take on that. But The Ref is just absolutely hilarious. It's a hilarious movie with Dennis Leary. So, so good. Yeah, so subversive. And then Beautiful Girls – Monument Avenue, I've never seen. That's 1998. Life in 1999 with Martin Lawrence and Eddie Murphy, where they serve life in prison. Not not received well, didn't make a lot of money. Blow comes out in 2001. Ted to me. This is where you see all of his influences. Like he's very influenced by John Cassavetes. That's a name that's going to come up yep. very, very shortly. Obviously influenced by Scorsese, by what Paul Thomas Anderson's doing. But this is also a guy who has been making movies since, you know, the early 90s. And he's using all of that and then putting it into blow, even in, you know, starting with like film stocks. Like it's a different film stock when he, when George is a little boy and then it changes again when they go to California and everything's all nice and then it changes again. And then it, it's, a very, it's a very smartly constructed movie, very well shot, very well edited. And I guess we just kind of, it's, we should just get this out of the way now because um, in 2003, A Decade Under the Influence comes out, which is a fantastic documentary in, in part made by Ted Demi about the influence that the 70s had over cinema. But while that film was being edited, Ted Demi passes away. So Blow is technically his last narrative feature film. And it's sad that we lost him young and early, but that also puts a little, I mean, that was not long after this movie came out and it was so, it was just so shocking because he was young and it puts a, puts a different wave of nostalgia on Blow when you watch it. And especially, yeah. especially when I'm listening to his commentary, you know, he the the commentary is intercut with it sounds like a long form interview with the real George Young, which George isn't watching the movie, but Ted to me is so it cuts back and forth. And it's just weird to like hear that and think he, he didn't pass away too long after recording this. Like it's just, you know, it's sad, but I I'm getting this stuff out of the way early because we're going to keep this, you know, positive and light. But just, you know, cheers to Ted to me. Cheers for making a very good final narrative feature film in blow. And there is a um, – I was watching a lot of interviews of people talking about Ted Demi and mm -hmm. the reverence that they had for him. Well, Dennis Natalie Leary Portman, fucking loved him. Yeah, Natalie Portman. Yep. Yeah. 
Yep. And they spoke to him as not just like how great he was as a human being, but artistically, like I, I kind of feel like if we didn't lose him as soon as we did, Blow may have just been the start of yeah, a career totally that would have really been really been amazing a directorial debut in that way of like all right this is when this is when he's like that was the movie that started it all and where he would have gone he also has a very he's very funny and he has a way in his storytelling of uh ah fuck it all kind of attitude to being like i don't this is someone who in my opinion would not have given a shit about like blowback for his movies or he's like yeah whatever you know just keep going keep making the work i got my people who love me and work with me and are willing to put in good work and I think better than ever, that is apparent in Blow. I think you see a lot of people showing up for a movie and putting in <laughs> really good, strong, dedicated work, starting with Johnny Depp, who is the lead, all the way down to a bit actor who has one or two lines, who is just really killing it. There's a, a great deal of emphasis put on everything, costumes, cinematography, everything. You got Dennis Leary as a producer. You've got Ellen Karras. A female cinematographer. Mm -hmm. Don't see too many of those. Well, especially not back then. I wrote a. It still gets a lot of traffic. I'm one of the one of my favorite articles I've ever written on my blog was why are there no female cinematographers? And I referenced her very highly, yep. being like, "This is one who's broken through. Like, we need to give women more of a chance to film stuff." Now that has turned the corner. Now women are being nominated yes. for the best cinematography Oscar, which is great. We still need more of it, but yes, she's doing uh, incredible work here on this movie. And then we have Nick Cassavetes, yep. the son of the great John Cassavetes. And any fans of What Are You Watching know that we love John Cassavetes. He was a co-writer on the movie. On top of all of this, the way th that Ted Demi uses his actors... You have Ray Liotta and Rachel Griffiths, who are maybe five at most years older mm -hmm. than Johnny Depp at the time they were filming this. Just through the use of makeup and costuming, they are playing his parents. You've got Pee Wee Herman in this movie <laughs> during the time where he was not the most well-liked person no. in the Hollywood world. I mean, there's just so much about this movie that is so eclectic that really kind of goes unnoticed. And in some ways, it shouldn't be. Like for, for Ellen Curas, she should not go unnoticed. But the fact that it goes unnoticed that these actors are playing his Johnny Depp's parents, mm -hmm. you never once question it. No, never. You never, never once think it's weird. And Paul Rubens just knocks it out of the park with his performance where you're never once being like, you're taken away from the fact that you're watching Pee Wee Herman. Right. You are seeing Derek for real. It really does do a lot of very, very cool, unique things that I don't think this movie gets enough recognition for in that way. Yeah, I absolutely agree. The starting back with the Nick Cassavetes script, co-written with David McKenna, who wrote American History X, Ted Demi spends a lot of time on his commentary giving Nick Cassavetes shout outs of, that was Nick's line, you know, you're never as good... When, you know, when you're down and up, that whole, that yep. great little monologue, all those really good, well-baked in, uh, very organic dialogue. It all seems like it came from Cassavetes here. And yeah, you can feel like this feels, uh, it moves and has certain bits that feel like they could be plucked out of a John Cassavetes script. Just some of the way they interact Absolutely. with each other. It's hilarious. As we said, Johnny Depp is the star blow playing George Young here. 
And as you mentioned, Johnny Depp was like your guy at this time when this movie came out. So I want to know, talked about Johnny on the pod before, but I want to know where does George Young rank among his work for you? Is it his best or? This is, yeah, this is my favorite Johnny Depp performance. The reason why he was my favorite actor for so long was because I think when I was younger and I was, and I think I've probably mentioned this before here on What Are You Watching? I think I was watching his work at an age where he, I was unaware that he was kind of touching my actor funny bone. Uh I didn't realize that I was connecting with a human resonance. Like I would watch his movies and I'd be like, why do I love this guy so much? Like there's something about his humanity that's coming across through me on screen. I, it just hits a chord. What's coming through through him is hitting me in a way that maybe I don't even understand about myself. That's the power of acting, I think, is is just that it, it has the ability to touch us in that way where we can't really explain it, we can't understand it, but it's real and we feel it. So much of this movie that means so much to me is in looks that he has, mm-hmm. in tiny little line deliveries, in just little moments of a smile that I'm, this movie, his performance does it to me in, in, in like no other performance can. Now, again, like acting is so subjective. Do I think that this is the best performance Johnny Depp has ever given in a eclectic look at his entire filmography? It's just me personally. This mm-hmm. is just my favorite. Mm-hmm. And it's That's hard okay. to say like it can beat Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas because there you've just got a completely unhinged Hunter S. Thompson just going wild and crazy. And that's I that's I love that performance. But for me, this is my favorite. Yeah, this is it's right up there for me too. Like there's more leading man character work from him, like Fear and Loathing, like even Edward Scissorhands. Like he is like the star of that, but he doesn't talk much and that's much more like character work playing off his face. I love that movie. Uh Donnie Brasco is a movie that I have oh. always absolutely loved and that's like a leading man performance like he's like a man in that he doesn't have you know knives for fingers and all and you know he's not whacked out on drugs the whole time like he's playing playing another real guy but i love donnie brasco and then yeah blow i love him and george young as blow at his two oscar nominations like i i get it but those were never my favorite performances from him pirates of the caribbean which i know is iconic like i i totally get it and finding neverland i just i always liked It was always cool for me to see him go so far because the first thing I saw him in was Edward Scissorhands. So I had I was like had him in that box of like the dude will do weird stuff like Ed Wood is a very weird performance. Dead Man's a very odd movie and he's doing all this weird stuff. But then sometimes he would play like a normal guy like Gilbert Grape or Donnie Brasco or even in Blow normal in terms of like, you know, they're normal people in extraordinary circumstances, of course. But, you know. They're they're human. Yeah. I think that's kind of what it is. And because even at Edward Scissorhands, I mean, yeah, you look at that and you just see this absolute cartoonish type of imagery. But what's kind of coming out is humanity. Even in Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas, as heightened as he is due to the states of, of being that he's in, humanity comes across. And I do personally think that we do lose a little bit of that humanity as his career has gone on. Mm -hmm. I think that a lot of those roles as he's gone on have lost a bit of that and have just really just lived in caricatures. I'm not saying that they're bad by any means, but I, I do think that there is a difference. 
you know, Captain Jack Sparrow is one of the most iconic film characters that we could actually make an argument that there's ever been. Yeah. I think yeah. the legacy of that performance throughout those movies, particularly the first one, as that legacy has gone on, I think he is by far the most entertaining things about that movie, those movies. I think he has really kind of gone into entertaining a lot. Um, but, you know, there's even movies like Black Mass where they're certainly not entertaining. That's a, that's a very, very different dark uh, performance that I do think he is good in. I don't think that something has come along since this performance. So over the last 20 years that has really hit me. And that speaks for his work in the 90s, too. Right, exactly. Exactly. There's two different versions of him. I'm not sure when the turning point came. I don't want to suggest that it came with Blow, but like post-Blow, there's, you know, commercially friendly stuff. And I even missed an Oscar nomination because he got nominated for Pirates of the Caribbean, Finding Neverland, and then Sweeney Todd. And I remember seeing Sweeney Todd and like knowing about that story as a kid. And that movie just didn't work for me. And, you know, the like the Willy Wonka, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, I'm like... Okay, that I, I get it. This doesn't really work for me. And then, you know, there have been some misses and stuff. Uh, Black Mass for me just didn't, I, I don't know. I think the Whitey Bulger story is primed for, or just something. Like, there's a lot of stuff that could have, uh, I felt, been different about that. That movie just kind of missed for me. I think the big, the toughest one is probably Public Enemies to talk about. Like, yeah. It's not the easiest, you know, I know people who love Michael Mann and that is their least favorite Michael Mann movie and they don't like Johnny Depp in it at all. I was never like that harsh on it, but that to me represented a turning point of like, I don't know if he's going to try this again. Like really deeply intense leading man character work where there's no goofy shit going on. But I would argue that I like the everything that came before Blow better than everything that came after. So like the beginning of his career up into Blow, I like that Johnny more than post-Blow, I guess. But a lot of people will probably disagree with us, and that's okay, you know. No, 100%. And I think there is something to be said in in also in fairness to this post-Johnny career because, I mean, what he means to kids in that way mm -hmm. is not something to sneeze at at all. I think that that's a very, very real thing for him. I think, um, you know, like you see all these stories about like, you know, he sh he brings all of his Jack Sparrow gear with him and just shows up at children's hospitals. Yep. These are decisions that, you know, uh, a human being is making with their career. And there is there is a weight to the responsibility of what that means. Um, so I don't it, it's just I think that's just us like we want to see real down and dirty human performances that we know we can give because we've he's made a you know the his 90s early 2000s work is representative of that and then there just came a point where he chose to go in this direction and i would love to hope that we will actually see some new work from him that, well, that, that <laughs> that's going to bring us in. If we're going to talk contemporary, well, yeah. we're going to, that's going to change the conversation a little bit. I don't, very true. I, I don't know where his career goes from here. I'll just put it that way. He's had a, he's had a, it's been a tough few years for him in the spotlight, a very tough few years. And we're not here to, I, I have nothing to say about that. I don't, I'm just here to talk about movies, folks. Like, I don't, yeah. <laughs> no, no, neither do I. We're, we are really separating the art from the current situation for sure. All that being said, the main point of that was, to see where you're at in terms of George Young. So now we know that's your that's your North Star for Johnny Depp. And probably mine yeah. too. He might be up there with Donnie Brasco, might be up there with Edward Scissorhands, but 
come on, let us be clear. Like his character introduction in the first Pirates of the Caribbean is fucking hysterical. I'm not taking anything away from that. Like they're entertaining movies, but it's a different, you know, it's a different register. As I like to say, it's a different gear. We're going to talk a lot about Blow and we're going to break down our favorite scenes and everything. But part of the reason we are doing this, yes, it's your favorite movie, but we're recording it in tandem with the Goodfellas podcast because we did lose Ray Liotta. Still in mourning. I've been rocking my Ray Liotta shirt here that you can see. It's fucking beautiful. Our, our audience can't see, but I've been wearing it everywhere. It's such a good conversation starter. Gym, parties, e- everywhere. Oh, man. By way of that, I want to talk about Ray Liotta as Fred Young and Rachel Griffiths oh. as, <laughs> as Irma Young. Wow. We talk a lot about chemistry on this podcast, and that does not yeah. mean how well people are getting along. It just means how well they're vibing on screen. And if that vibing means they are bickering and arguing like an old married couple, like go watch Blow and watch what Ray and Rachel are doing right away, right away in almost the first scene. That stuff, like you can direct some of that, but a good director is paying such an expert actor like Ray Liotta and Rachel Griffiths to do work outside to bring that energy into it. And I know for a fact that they were doing this, that they did a ton of work off camera, and they kind of came up with the theme of, if we are to portray this quote-unquote old married couple cliche in every scene, let's bring something new to it every single time they see us. So like, my favorite interaction with them is at the table, you know, at the dinner table, and Barb's oh, and, yeah, and she's like, look at the ring, you know, lay away all that, and... She's been beating him down over the years. You could see it's like wore him out to the point where at this dinner, he just wants to don't listen to her, you know, yab, 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 yab. And that dynamic, like you don't walk in with that. You have to really, really work on that. And the way that they bounce off each other is it's actually kind of incredible because, you know, listeners know how much I love Ray Liotta. But if you especially consider that Rachel Griffiths is Australian and she had been in some crossover American movies by 2001, some like Mariel's Wedding, but American audiences did not know her well. They didn't know who she was. Blow was released in April 2001 and Six Feet Under, probably the most memorable part she had, yep. was released in June 2001. So my point is when Blow is released, she's a relative unknown to American audiences and she's holding her own and going toe to toe with Henry fucking Hill from Goodfellas and she's controlling the scenes. She's the instigator, the antagonist and Ray just takes it and it is both of these are perfect and thrilling performances. It By the end, that final walk you see him do out to the garage, Ray, I mean, it's just in his shoulders and it's so fucking heartbreaking and the way like She's just always there. The last time we see her, she's just in the background. And like, why are you still with this lady? But I mean, we know those couples. We know those old married couples that fight and they just, they still hang on. They just keep going. And that the dynamic they have cannot be overlooked. And that is really the heart of the film. The heart of the film is in the relationship between Johnny Depp and Ray Liotta. That's the heart. That home base having that's where he's literally coming home to like reset the narrative a few times. It's just, I don't. I don't want people to sleep on that. I want people to watch this movie and to take in how fucking good Ray Liotta and Rachel Griffiths are in this. And then, you know, what are you looking at, Mrs. Crazy? Your son's no prize. I love that oh my so God. much. And there's no one standing really good off. Yeah, there's no one. Oh, thank you. There's no one standing <laughs> off camera. Like, she's just doing that. And no one knew who this actor was when this movie came out. I mean, of course, people did. You know, I'm, I'm taking liberties in saying that. But Six Feet Under hadn't come out yet. That's all I'm saying. And she's crushing it. This was... 
much better way to put it. This was the first thing I saw her in. And it made me, when Six Feet Under came around, I'm like, well, I know she can bring it. Holy shit, she went up against Ray. Well, I mean, you just, if you just like edited this movie and just used the scenes that the two of them are in, because they, they span these decades. And so that's why we're seeing, you know, Ted Demi make the choice of just putting them in makeup yeah, and wardrobe. Really good makeup. Yeah. A really good makeup because you believe as they get older that they're just that old. But we start in the 50s where they're a young, you know, married couple and who, and she's leaving all the time. And, and Ray Liotta looks like a 50s guy. Like he, like in that opening scene where he's, you know, uh, George, young George, Jesse James, you know, <laughs> wants wants to go to work with him. But I, I should preface by saying that this is by far and away my second favorite Ray Liotta performance outside of Henry Hill. Yeah, that's I why think- in my mini-sode, I wanted to tout it up a little bit because I knew you, you were going to rep it hard. But then I'm like, actually, this is in the top five for me, for sure. Like, it's definitely like, up there. He's so good in this. The way that he is a father is just one of the best father portrayals I've ever seen mm-hmm. in a movie. And he only has about five or six scenes throughout the whole entire movie to do this. We're seeing him how he is as a father. So he's, you know, defending his son. Like he's he's got this, you know, this company that he's the boss of. And he's like, don't don't talk to my son like that. I'll I'll, I'll sit here and talk to my son for however long I want. Yeah. You know, I guess who's on cleanup duty and buying <laughs> it's lunch. A problem. Yeah. And, you know, and I love one thing that I love about this movie is the you'll be able to help me with this terminology, but like I always talk about colors. Mm-hmm. When we're in this 50s era, it looks like the 50s. It looks like Super the, 16 film stock. Yeah. Yes. Very grainy. And it, it, like the colors are a little washed out, but also a little like more pastel a little bit. Yeah. Yes. Very represented. That's exactly what movies of that color movies at that time looked like. Exactly. The, the entire scene. Of where Ray Liotta is in the bank and it's got that very green tint around yeah. everything. Yeah. That is just a one man show going on for like the next minute and a half, 90 seconds, where the like, the voiceovers going on in the background where George Young is being like, at the end of the day, he just didn't make enough. So he's gone bankrupt. And you just see Ray, he's just like, well, what, 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 do, I, what do I have to do? Anything, anything we need to do. Then you get the beautiful music by by Graham Ravel coming in the score, and he says like is like money doesn't it's not real it just only seems like it is and and that moment that he has where the young Jesse James tells his dad like try explaining that to mom <laughs> good luck yeah <laughs> you let me that you, reaction <laughs> Ray has to that is one of just the most biggest moments of the whole entire movie to me because he's like huh, yeah well. Now that's a tricky one. Yeah, they both know what they're getting into. <laughs> it feels like a father relating to his son, and then they're walking down the stairs together. It's just, I don't know, man. It just fucking gets me. I just think it's so fucking beautiful. Well, he and he talks to him with all that beautiful language penned in part by Nick Cassavetes in a way where that a kid it's so relatable to a kid. Like, you know, when you're down, it never seems like you're going to get up again. It just, it's, re- it's very relatable. And yeah, he's a great dad who... You know, one of Leota's favorite scenes is when he comes to visit George at the new house and Penelope oh. Cruz is pregnant and it's all one take and they go and they turn the corner and he has all those, you know, all those toys, all those cars. And he, you know, he's like, yeah, business is pretty good. I got this little import export thing going on down in Miami. <laughs> A little yeah. import export. And Ray looks at him. He's like, I, I cut the bullshit. I know what you're doing. Are you happy? Yeah. Like, that's what I care about. Are you happy? And we've just seen, you know, about 30 seconds before of his pregnant wife doing rails, like in the bedroom. Like, yeah. I don't know if this is happiness. And 
that's what he cares about. Like, I, I know you're into some bad shit. I just want to make sure my son is happy. That was one of, yeah, Leota's favorite scenes to film. And I really, I love every time, like, he, they talk to each other, like, George talks to his dad in a way that he doesn't get to talk to other characters. Like, this dude yes. knows who you are. There's no front to put up. Like, there's nothing, like, and he knows what you're doing. And he's not even judging you for it. He just hopes, like, yep. he just hopes you're happy. And there is a beautiful message in there somewhere amidst all of the that's why the movie pauses for breaks to do this to show you that the parents are still around and goodfellas we never see henry hill's parents again you know there's a reason why we're constantly being led back to this home base of father son that's what the movie's grounded in it is and it, and even and it goes further when george young has his daughter because then yeah. he's transitioning into wanting to be the father that he had and unfortunately it doesn't work that well. Mm-hmm. Um, but the longing that that George Young has to be that is what's so heartbreaking. And it's also because we've seen what his father meant to him, that when we're already going towards the end where all that matters to him is his daughter, mm-hmm. it, it comes full circle in that way. So, I mean, really, like, you know, you can say that this movie's core essence is really about being a good father like there's just so much about them maybe that's why it it, it hits me so hard about the father stuff because yeah yeah i also felt like growing up like when my dad would not show up and i was the kid like waiting and then that's exactly what happens to her yeah and yeah. you know it's just like oh my fucking god and and you know and and what was so great about ray is like watching like he had like every time he sees his son He's just so happy. Yeah, he is. It, it, you can tell, like, if he doesn't see, if he sees his son once a year, this is the moment of the year. It's never going to get better than mm-hmm. this. You <sighs> said full circle in terms of the fatherhood thing, and then Ted to me literally does make it full circle by showing us that same scene, like no money, no money, you know, in front of the kid at the dinner table. And he's like, not in yeah. front of the kid. It's like the same exact camera construction setup. It's yeah, it's really it's. It's a thing that I talk about a lot, the reliving past trauma that like he's he essentially just married his mother. Like that's what he did. His mother yeah, didn't that's use essentially what cocaine, he's done. but yep. that's essentially what he's done. He's just married her and he just wants to be his dad. And his daughter seems to have a lot of the same sentiment that young George had. Just like, you know, wide-eyed, innocent, wants to love his parents, but is just getting uh, screwed over. Yeah. We'll talk more about Ray and Rachel as we go on, but I just, I wanted to get, if we're going to talk about Johnny up front, I want to talk about Ray and Rachel up front because those are kind of my three favorite aspects of the movie, honestly. I love Ray and Rachel in this so much. Always have, yep. always have. Has so much more uh, nostalgia now, unfortunately, since Ray's passed, but let's get into our favorite scenes. This is, this is your show, my friend, your favorite movie. I figured a cool way to anchor this would be in this film's killer soundtrack and how, as you mentioned, oh. it does have a very good score by Graham Revell. And usually when movies have this good of a soundtrack with that period appropriate music, the score isn't really noticeable. You don't really need a score. Like Tarantino doesn't use a lot of movie score because he has so much cool ass music in it. This is one where they're using both really, really well. And the musical sequences, I mean, so many are just imprinted in my brain. We can start right at the top with Can't You Hear Me Knocking by the Rolling Stones, how that title card comes in. And then we get something that I always love, which is process. I love process. How are things done? And we get to see them making cocaine. And I'm like, holy shit. (laughs) Should we even be allowed to watch this? Like, this is how it's done? Whoa. And it's so, it's just kind of thrilling, honestly. You're like, oh, okay. I never. It is. When I saw that in 2001, I I had no idea. I had no idea how it was manufactured. And um, 
I have a feeling that not a lot has changed. To be totally honest, I still think it's kind of like that. But yeah, it's it's a great it's a way to business. establish. Yeah, oh yeah, <laughs> it's a great way to establish where we are and what we're about and what we're getting into. So when when we first see George Young in the '60s and he's in California. I love this so much because even so much of the cinematography are doing things that you only did in the 60s. Yeah, Like exactly. these zoom-ins. It feels like we're living in the 60s. And, you know, we said in our Goodfellas episode that I think that Henry Hill's voiceover is probably my favorite voiceover all, of all time. This is by far away my second. Yeah. Because there's an impact and weight to some of just the lines that Johnny Depp has during this voiceover. But... He's always talking from the past. Mm -hmm. He's always talking, you know, from some era uh, that's ahead of him recounting all this. And he says three times throughout the movie, these three words, it was perfect. And he refers to them twice in the the span of the 60s. I find that because, you know, you don't want to repeat yourself, whether it's in writing or anything, unless you're trying to make a point. And I don't think that any of these were overlooked. I think... There is a very, very clear statement of him looking back at his life, referring to moments in time of being perfect, because they were. They're snapshots. Anytime he says it, it's in a moment where everything is going well. Everything is wonderful. I love the relationship between him and Franca Potente. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It very much seems that this was the love of this character's life. Yeah. Even though like he does more with Penelope Cruz and all that, that... There's a reason why we we don't see any of the of the bad things mm-hmm. here. It's that first love, it's that that zoom in shot of when they're walking across the beach. That's period perfect. That's out of yes. so many movies of that time just really far away and using this insanely long lens to slowly push in as they as people talk. It's in the color of it. It's, it's just oh god, it's so perfect. And it's the world is around them. They've got the world. Right. It's zooming in on their love. And he's just telling her that he's happy. And like, that's how you feel. Like the the world is around you, but it doesn't matter because you've got this love that's all that fucking matters. And it's just encapsulated to me in this one shot that I just find it to be just the most beautiful fucking thing. The movie isn't split like down the middle or anything, but that first kind of portion, that first half really feels like everything's happy, it was perfect, he's with Barbara, and it feels like those are the weed years. Like, we're just dealing a little weed yeah. here. Like, I, yep. I, I, mean, I, I mean, we're dealing a lot. You know, we're dealing several hundred pounds, but these are the weed years. And then, with the exception of the, the lead open in the beginning, which, like, Goodfellas does, too, we see a scene that we're going to see later. Yeah. Because we do see George do a bump of blow in that, but we don't see cocaine in the actual narrative of the movie until the 53 minute mark when they're all doing it, you know, at the pool party. I can't feel my face. Bobcat. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) God, it's so great. (laughs) And the sound designer really amplified the sound of them using it for the first time. Then the second half gets so much crazier. The style of the movie gets crazier. Also, it's much darker, bringing kind of uh, signaling the energy of that particular drug. But that early California stuff, the carefreeness of it, just tuna, you know, hi, hi, hi. And then (laughs) bringing back that terrible bag of weed. Uh, I just, I love everything about that. It's so carefree and fun and chill. It's so carefree. And when he does that, the first hit of weed, and he just bounces up like that. I love that so much because you're seeing, I mean, (laughs) it's a huge moment for him, like the first drug. First drug for George Young, too. It reminds me yep. of that uh, that picture in Scar Tissue of Anthony Kiedis like, taking that first hit of a oh. drag when he's like 13. He's like, this is a moment right here captured in time. 
Well, oh, you're really you're you're really doing your best at to pick at the Nick Dosal heartstrings right I here. Am. <laughs> Little Easter eggs. And the uh the Dooley. Dooley. I love Dooley. God. I love Dooley and I love him and I, like he's a part of this carefree world and you know, we'll get to it, but like when he comes back later on. Mm-hmm. That's what I mean. Like some people in life just like you go your like years, decades, and all of a sudden, like holy shit. Like uh, it's you. Yeah. It's you. I never thought I'd see you again. I love that. Um you you brought up the score and the soundtrack and the 60s soundtrack throughout all of these scenes is just it's a perfect encapsulation of that. But one thing I want to point out about the score, it's probably one of my favorite pieces of guitar music. I love hearing a very single echoey electric guitar. The emotion that is evoked from this simple plucking and sliding of these guitar strings, this music only shows up at the heart. Mm-hmm. of the movie scenes so when you're talking about balancing soundtrack and score right if you're really dissecting the movie this guitar only shows up in the most important and defining moments of george young's life we first hear it when ray Liotta is telling him about money the second time that we hear it is in quite frankly i think one of the most emotionally like powerful moments of the movie for me is when he's been sentenced to prison for the first time for dealing weed mm-hmm. and he's outside the courthouse we're doing this beautiful swirling with the camera around Johnny Depp and Franca Potente as he's telling her that he's going to serve 2 years and she's telling him essentially that she doesn't have 2 years cuz she has cancer the music just comes in in the moment where, like, if you watch it slow motion, Johnny Depp is, like, searching in her eyes for what she's talking about. Then he finds it. And then all they can do is just sit in this moment of their love and their sadness. And this music is playing. And then it transitions to the funeral. It, it basically, that was the end. That broke up the group. That broke up the fun, weed, carefree party. Yeah. Yep. That's when that music goes away. And we only get that music again is when we're coming to those defining, life-changing moments. Yeah, it's it's really a hell of a score. It's a score that I paid more attention to after you and I met because you just we were talking about it. I think that was the first thing you mentioned about the movie, how much you love the score. Yeah. Going back to another scene that I've always really loved, going back to Ray and Rachel when he comes home after he skips bail. Oh. And he's having that just that great talk. You know, they do he does a toast with his Dad, for the first time, may the wind always be at your back, which is how you ended your best man speech at my wedding, which was great. Sure <laughs> no is. No one knew it. I sure just started is. laughing and did a nice little toast. Uh, it was great. <laughs> and then the kicker to that is, you know, the cops show up, George is running around, and then when he's being let out of the house by the cops and Ray Liotta is looking into the camera and his eyes are just so, like, wide-eyed and horrified, and then she drops the line, I had to. I had to do it. And the way that Ray looks at her is like, Jesus Christ, and like storms inside. Just, that's such, that is a hammer being thrown down of, whoa, that's mama's priority here. She's turning her son in. She doesn't give a shit. And we know where, where she goes. If you're really paying attention to the last time she's mentioned, the last thing she does does to George is very fucking mean. It's just ah, uh, it's so oh, denying yeah. him a furlough. It's ah, uh, it's fucking brutal. But I I've always really loved that scene. And that's really 
You know, we've gotten some suggestion that she's not the nicest mom, but that right there, you're like, whoa, okay. Now we know where her loyalty lies. How is this going to reflect on me? Well, she's always been like, if you think about it, you break her down, she's kind of a selfish woman. Oh, oh, Uh, She she would leave when she had had it when he was younger, like the bus stop scene where she's she's like, go home, George. Yeah. And, 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 you know, like, where's she going to go? Like, and she always comes back. And, you know, essentially that's a mother leaving their son. Yeah, that's a big She's deal. She's abandoning him. Yes, exactly. It's a big deal. And so when she turns him in, she's turning him in for reasons that, like she says, like, how do you think that reflects on mm-hmm. me? So her motivation for everything is really self-preservation. Her. Yes. Even yes. in the in the probably the happiest scene we ever see her in is the dinner scene when it, she knows where, that her son um, has a lot of money now <laughs> and she's happy and, <laughs> and she's joking carrots? with with Ray Liotta uh, and um yeah yeah he old cheapskate cheapskate beatskate and then when you know he is um at home and he's like he's not allowed to leave he gets phone calls she's just staying in the room mm-hmm. for the phone calls like and then finally the last thing we see from her. Is you know she basically says you're not my son anymore. Yep. And and this whole so that's juxtaposed by Ray Liotta, who will only ever see him as his son. Right. Like that scene when he comes back and you know Johnny Depp looks at him and goes, "Are you mad at me?" Just just like such a childlike thing to ask. Right. And he goes, "No, I'm not mad. I just I don't understand." And even the way he greets him, he's like he open arms. He goes, "Oh my God, look." It's our son. Can you believe it? Like, it, it's just an undying love. It's unconditional. It's beautiful. It re- oh, God. It's so good. Next scene I want to talk about has a lot to do with cinematography. So we're going to give a lot of love to Ellen here. Because when Diego in prison, you know, George oh, yeah. sent to prison. What are you in for? George says murder. Ha ha. Diego's in there for ripping off cars. When George reveals that I'm actually in here because I got caught with 660 pounds of weed, which is like a great reveal when he's teaching that course in prison. Like, I'll teach you how to do some dr- drug uh, dealing. Oh, it's great. A premier chief lesson in cinematography is the scene, the next scene of them in their cell. And it's just that. Yeah. It's that gold hot light. And all the only thing they did for that, they just set it up there and gently moved the camera back and forth. And then the editor did these harsh dips to black bringing it up again, yep. and it lands on this perfect crescendo of George, what do you know about cocaine? And it's it's a really cool scene, but I always loved the way that was shot, and then knowing how simple it was, that they didn't, they really, I, I don't know, 53 million is a lot of money, but they're not talking about it. You know, I think a lot of that probably went to the actor, so to get like down and do some really cool shots and some cool stuff, you just have to be economical. I mean, when George gets taken down and all the cops come in in that scene, the way the light just kind of shines and we go to slow motion, it's also very, it's done on a budget. And I really appreciate how Ted to me could stretch his money like that. I just, I just love that scene. It's so stylistic, even in the performance, because the way that Diego is talking to him is so over the top. Oh, yeah. And it's almost in a way that like, you know, you never talk to somebody like that Mm -hmm. where it's so, but it's also like hypnotic. Mm -hmm. And conversely, like Johnny Depp is not matching it. You know, he's speaking to him very much conversationally. Like he goes, do you know why you failed? And he's like, shut the fuck uh, up. I'm trying to go to sleep. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) And that's what, when it lands, we're like, what do you know about cocaine? And it's just, then you cut with Johnny Depp, like, like he looks intrigued. Yep. So well done. Speaking of music moments, I don't know if my heart ever 
beats faster in a good way than when Black Betty by Ram Jam starts and they're just, you know, they're cruising and he's strutting through the airport. Immediately gets all picked white. all white. Just oh, it's so stylized. Immediately gets picked up by Pablo Escobar's guys, and it's like, come with me. And then that's always been one of my favorite moments is that trip to Mexico and oh my God, the meeting of Pablo Escobar and his introduction in this movie is one of my favorite things just ever. That insanely long oh. lens were in George's POV. He just goes, shakes the guy's hand, and then boom, with his back turned. Then it cuts to slow motion. And he's like, unless you've been living under a fucking rock. That's, you know, the boss of it all, Pablo Escobar. I love this sequence so much. that He's played by Cliff Curtis, who's an amazing New Zealand actor. Amazing. He's played so many different types of roles, so many different races, which I know hasn't, um, it's not something that really goes on nowadays, but an incredible character actor. I've loved him in everything I've seen him in. Three Kings, oh my God. He watches his wife be murdered right in front of him. Bringing out the dead as a crazy drug dealer. Yep. The insider as a terrorist. He's smiley and training, training day. day. Yep. Whale Rider, holy shit. If you haven't seen Whale Rider, he's so emotional in that movie. He's so good. Sunshine, I love C- Cliff Curtis, but you know, Benicio del Toro, Javier Bardem, Wagner Mora, and Narcos, they've all played Pablo Escobar. And the dude from Narcos is really fucking good. I don't know if it can get better from that. That's fucking incredible. But this is, for one scene, what he does here is amazing. And the dude is not Mexican. The dude is not Latino. Like, he's a New Zealand actor coming in with so much presence. And, you know, please take off your glasses. And, oh, just, he even does that little fake out, like, Joe Pesci does to Ray Liotta in Goodfellas. I'm funny how, like, when he gets out of the car and is... You know, he confronts Diego, like, and he's speaking all the Spanish, like, yep. he's a troll. Then he's like, no, I want to work with us. Woo! Uh, but let's just talk about this Pablo Escobar sequence a little bit. It, it, I mean, it's, well, one, it, that the, sh- the shot where we're introduced to him, there's no music. Mm-mm. It's just sound. Yep. You just hear, like, the birds, and you see the image of him shaking a guy's hand, because we're watching from the point of view of Diego and George Young. And then right after that, one of the guards just shoots another guy right in the yeah, head. Sicario shoots the guy he shook hands with. Boom. Yep. And outside of heat, in terms of the gunshot sound mm-hmm. in heat, this gunshot sound is my favorite gunshot sound I've ever heard in a movie. Yeah. And what they get right about it is that you you see it before we hear it because sound takes yep. longer to travel, obviously, than vision. <laughs> so they see it and we hear that pop. And that's like, from as far away as they are, that is what it would sound like. And yep. that's uh, a, I've heard a gun being fired at that distance. I've never, thankfully, never seen anyone's brains being blown up. But I imagine yeah. that's what it would look like. And the the contrast of like no, the people who have the biggest reactions are him and Diego. Like they turn, they yes. can't watch, and everyone else, it's just business. Let's just you know put them away. And Pablo's yep. just walking out for, to take a fucking meeting. <laughs> it's God. so startling. And then it's got it's followed up by one of my like favorite like moments of the whole movie where they're where Diego's basically like they don't want to see me they just want to see you so you got to go you got to go and if you watch it's a great I don't know whose decision it was maybe it was accident but Johnny Depp is as far right to the camera as you can go because he doesn't want to do mm-hmm. this he doesn't want to go at all and and they're telling him he has to he's like escaping the camera trying to run away until he finally says fuck it finds the confidence, finds like the bravery to just go and do this. That expression of fuck it has served me so many fucking times in my life. 
it, there's a certain time where you just got to say fuck it and go. Yeah. I, I think about that if I'm ever kind of come up with something where I need to face some courage, just be like, fuck it, go. He, he has that little strut too. I love the way he like, he kind of bounces uh. off that little strut. You know what I will say? I've, I watched this twice in the past week to prepare for this because I watched it just straight through and then with the commentary. I guess I never paid enough attention to when he is meeting with Pablo one-on-one like that. Pablo doesn't say it, but suggests very strongly like why don't i just kill diego this dude's a problem like yeah. he steals cars and he he points to the ground of like you see that i don't like problems like referencing the guy who just you know got his brains blown out i guess i assume that pablo meant let's just cut him out of this deal but he's saying like let's, i i can just go over there and kill him right now then you get all the money why don't we just do that like i don't you know yeah and also kind of suggesting Maybe that this guy is a little reckless and could lead to your downfall, which he does in part. But I love that when George is like, nah, it's 50-50, like he's my partner, you know, and Pablo sees that as as a sign of respect. I just, I always really like that scene. And, you know, the the detail of asking him to take off his glasses, it's really, it's really nice. Why he hadn't taken them off already, I would have been scared shitless. I know, yeah. Hello, Mr. Escobar. (laughs) I love he screws up his name. He calls him El Padroni. El Padroni. (laughs) Well, El El Padroni. I mean, that, that's other... Also good character work. He ta- he's talking out of the one side of his mouth, the Boston accent. That's all George Young stuff. Like a lot of the stuff yep. George says in this was directly taken from tapes that he could hear of. So like the dialogue is stuff that was said directly <laughs> in real life. And, you know, once Pablo agrees to do work with them and Diego kind of screams in exaltation, we get, this is my favorite. Uh, I don't know. Oh. We get what is one of my favorite. It's either this or Ram Jam, but Blinded by the Light by Man for Man's Earth Band coming in. Like, this is a song that's been used in a lot of movies. And the only criticism I had to say about it here is that he should have stretched it and used it more because he only gives that. It's a crazy montage of those still images, but throwing us into that cocaine lifestyle, not with a series of video clips, but with a series of crazy ash, ass pictures to show the boom, 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 the rat tat tatness that that drug can have on your brain is so smart i just and then you know we we fade out into that great money scene of all, with all the money over the apartment but that blinded by the light thing that he could have kept going and it's always good to leave him wanting more but he could have kept going with that because i just love that <laughs> well, it's amazing and it's one of those songs that we talk about where it's like when you see the use of a song in a movie yeah no matter what i guarantee you whenever that song comes on if i ever hear it i'm only thinking of blow yeah for like sure. i'm like oh this is the song of blow. Same thing with Black Betty by Ram Jam. Like, there's yep. no way I'm not seeing Johnny Depp with the flowing hair in an all-white <laughs> suit, which is a complete badass strutting down. But again, this is also kind of going back to my point of these eras of his life, right? So we now are talking about the eras of the 70s where he's in probably what would be considered the prime of his life. Yeah. He looks really, really good. He's in the throes of whatever you want, however you want to feel about it, but he's in the throes of the success of the business that he has made with his life. Things are going really well. And there's like, you know, and that brings us to another like wonderful moment of the whole entire movie is when he meets Penelope Cruz. Yeah, at the wedding. Yep. When they lock eyes, this screen is on fire. Well, yeah, and he based that off of West Side Story, like lock, locking eyes from across the dance floor and then seeing and then, you know, walking up to each other. It's very, and similar to what I said for Rachel Griffiths, like 
some people had a relationship with Penelope Cruz, but not a lot of American audiences at this point. She had been in like a few things, but not a lot. So seeing her and she's so stunning just on the other side of the room like that. Ah, it's a great, great moment. Hi. Why are you smiling? I don't know. Yeah. Another <laughs> and, thing and that then, makes that scene really fun is that I you don't really realize that he takes Caesar's woman because Penelope Cruz <laughs> is with Caesar, like who's George's arch enemy, like right out from underneath him. <laughs> it, it even tells like Caesar comes up to him and he's like, they want you over here. And Johnny Depp's like, okay. Yeah, I'm okay. Yeah, it, yeah. like waiting for him to go, this is his wife. And he just totally fucking... Also a cool way to... <laughs> economically show how two people are getting into each other so quickly are those crazy cuts they do which are sexual in nature but yep. you know when the first time they kiss but ted to me's like we just shot that all in one room like on a soundstage with some red lights and that's it and you get you get it all right there like there's a little voiceover you know they're into the same stuff but now we know where mirth is coming from like we get who she is we get what gear he's kind of she is twisting in him and she couldn't be more different from his previous love. Right, like if you're exactly. looking at the span of his of his lifetime, like the loves of his life, she is just like the complete opposite. And he's got that great line. He's like, we were young in love. We had the world by the short and curlies. Yep. It's yeah. a very, very reflective movie in that way where it, we're just seeing everything. I think he even says before, like we cut to that next scene where, again, it was perfect. Mm -hmm. This is when it all comes crashing down. One of the most realistic scenes i've ever seen of someone getting shot is in this movie oh yeah yeah just right in the shoulder but takes it yep takes it and knows like let's not disrupt things more let me just you know because diego's flipping out they're on a drug deal diego's flipping out over something that has nothing to do with the drug deal the drug dealers who don't speak english don't like that because uh, it's usually spanish only in here and then diego's speaking english and yeah, George gets shot in the shoulder, but the way they do it, like taking out, you hear the gunshot and they take out all the sound and just a look on his face really looks like, fuck, I just got shot. But if I don't get this together, I'm going to end up dead. So I got to like yep. try to save face here. Yeah. It's a really good scene. Yeah. And the way, cause he, he's so vulnerable. He goes, oh fuck. It's, it's just got a certain moment of like reality to it. The thing is, he's just trying to fight to get everybody out. Everything's okay. Everything's okay. Yeah. No Diego problem. kindly showed this fine gentleman the way out. Thank you. Pleasure doing business. Goodbye. Like, try yeah. to get everyone out, like, as calmly and professionally as possible. You know, in the Goodfellas pod, we talked a lot about how maybe Ray Liotta doesn't get enough credit for how well he's portraying cocaine addiction in that jump into the fire sequence. And the sequence when Leonard Skinner's That Smell is playing in Blow, oh. and he is like just losing it. It's short, but you know, his daughter's being born. They're yelling at him from downstairs. He's got that suitcase just full of coke that he's like doing bumps out of, and he looks nuts. Yes. Like, totally deranged. But the way that that's cut and those quick jumps, and he's like, all right, all right, all right, fuck. All right. And every time you just see him, he's more bloodshot, more bloodshot. And then another aspect I forgot to talk about, it's in an earlier scene when the parents come and visit and she's doing the cocaine and she's pregnant. Yep. When she goes down to meet the parents and she's just whooshing around and the sound's going whoosh, whoosh, she's really playing that like she's, you know, spiked up, I'll say. Yep. But back back to the that smell sequence. And then, so he's in the room and it's just like an actor in the room with a prop, a suitcase, just doing it. Come on, come on. And then you get, you cut to that fantastic shot of you know penelope cruz is giving birth and he's just convulsing standing up and he <laughs> gives the best mode of my life followed by the worst one it is funny but it's also like oh this this guy had it really bad not only was he dealing like this he was in 
He's in bad shape, let's put it that way. And God, does he look like shit. Oh, he looks terrifying. Like, he looks like a walking corpse, like yeah, or a, a convulsing yeah. corpse. And, and, and that's one of those moments where the movie does get very stylized, like, in costumes and makeup. Like, it gets moments where it gets over the top, but it never leaves reality. Mm-hmm. And that's one of the things I appreciate. Like, they're playing a lot. Like, how do we make this guy look as fucked up as possible? All right, we're <laughs> going to put a bunch of makeup on and... And, you know, and it, and it works. It all works. And then when, you know, from that point on is really like when you see the father side of, you know, he says it sometimes he goes that from this is the moment where I knew what my life was all meant to mm-hmm, be, mm-hmm. you know, and I had nothing. I, I just wanted to be a good father like my father was for me. Oh, man. One of the my favorite acting moments from Johnny Depp is when um, he's in prison again. Because Penelope Cruz basically put him there. Yeah, she flips out in the car, which is, I mean, yep. she has she has at least two flip outs here when her voice gets to that register where it's like, we're blurring the line of acting. So her version of what about the money? What about all that? When, you know, that full circle scene we talked about, she's like going off on him. And then, yes, that car when she's doing drugs in the front of the car and then tries to climb on top of him. And then the cops show up and she does. It's such a... The way that she plays it, like yelling at him, don't ever touch oh. me again when you're the one who fucking instigated this. Yep. And he's a fucking cocaine dealer. He has a brick in he the trunk. Kind of it's key- like, oh my, yep. yeah, kilo in the trunk. He even says that when she comes and visits him, when she says, you know, I'm divorcing you. <laughs> Thanks. And uh, I'm only here because of you. And so, oh, I knew you'd see yep. it like that. And it's like, oh, it's kind of, it's partly why, it's partly why. But no, it's that scene. It's that scene where he's got so much rage. But he's not playing a character that explodes a lot in rage. Like mm-hmm. he's a very, very calm. Like, like even in the scene where we're talking about where he gets shot, he's keeping it all cool, right? Like, it's just, you can tell. Like that's just kind of how George Young must have been. Like Johnny Depp is making these choices as an actor to never go into these moments of rage or explosion. Even when uh, Diego, the fucking scene with Diego, where he's coming there and and like no more friends, Diego. Yeah. Next time it's loaded. Yeah, next time it's loaded. You can feel the rage there, but he never lets it out. This one moment where, well, he sees, like, Penelope Cruz gets up and walks away, and then he sees his daughter, oh. and his heart just breaks. And, like, those are the moments that really get me, where he's just, like, he picks up the and he's like, hello, sweetheart. You know, and then, you know, I thought you couldn't live without your heart, and she hands her the phone. That's, like, the best line delivery of the movie. She, do yeah. you know who that is? It's Emma Roberts. Emma Roberts, her yep, first movie. Yep. She's great. She has like some angst and some fire back there. Like, yeah, you live with that. some dismissiveness. And you're like, yep. wow, good actor. And I, I had forgotten that that was her. And I'm, I'm still, I'm a huge fan of hers. I love Emma Roberts. So it's so cool to see her feisty and young, just giving it right yep. back to him. That's, oh, it's such a crushing fucking line. Whenever someone can use your own words against words. you, that's yep. always the worst. Because it's like, that's you made me a promise, motherfucker. Can't live without your heart. Where you been? You know this is all Cassavetti shit too. Oh, like yeah. all these oh, lines yeah. that like hit home. And when Johnny Depp slams that phone into yeah. the glass, there's a look that comes out of his mouth that's so visceral to me. Like it's like an animal, like showing its teeth. And every time I see it, my mouth makes that same like expression because I can feel like that that rage coming out. It wasn't scripted. That was improvised. He only did it once. Oh, really? Oh, yeah, so that's in the commentary. Yeah, yeah. and every, it scared the shit out of everyone because he yeah. no one expected it. And it was a very quiet scene that he did it and everyone jumped and they were like, holy shit. That's why you oh. hired Johnny. Yep. We've talked about 
you know, the cinematography as we've gone along. To give Ellen Curris also filmed Spike Lee's Summer of Sam, one of my favorite looking Spike Lee movies. It looks nuts. She filmed Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind, which a few people may have heard of. She also filmed The Ballad of Jack and Rose, which is a movie you and I both love. We talked about. Yeah, she's and filmed a shitload of documentaries, a lot of documentaries. We talked about the different film stocks to match the time period. We talked about the lighting of the prison scene. The cinematography is just so strong and confident throughout. Very controlled, a lot of long takes on a steady cam, but it's also frenzied and handheld when it needs yeah. to be, like in the sho- getting shot in the shoulder. Again, I see a heavy Goodfellas and Boogie Nights influence. I also see her own work on it. It's just a really, really good-looking movie that is also assembled very, very well. So one thing we've been talking about a lot are the costumes. And do you know who the costume designer was for this movie? Oh, yeah. He's one, was... of, the, he's one of the best. His name is Mark Bridges. Yep, yep. Yeah, Mark Bridges, and he has two Oscars. One for the costume design of the artist, and the second, in my opinion, incredibly well-deserved for Phantom Thread. So he has ah. done the costume design for every PTA movie, including Licorice Pizza, all of them. So the costumes are so fucking good here <laughs> because they're flashy. Like the all white thing is so cool. And you're like, wow, look at this. But then those terrible windbreakers in the eighties, which everyone oh was wearing, God. like they're so yeah. good. And you want to, at first you think like, you know, he's out of prison. He's walking his daughter to and from school every day. And you think like, ah, oh, maybe it's just George, like kind of dressing like this now. And then they show that great shot of Penelope Cruz with the, the blonde hair. She's smoking. She's She's I talk about a fall from grace, like you are not living where yep. you once were. And uh the clothes really, really tie in where we are and like who these people are. Like they probably it looks like they bought them, you know, at Kmart or something. Like, ah, uh, it's just perfect. It's perfect. This movie's end, this everything that you're leading towards, it's a very, very depressive situation for everyone involved. And yeah, it really does feel like we've we've witnessed a lifetime where there was a point where these people were on top of the world and looked really good. Exactly. Yeah. And when we see the reality because of the time periods and like, again, it's not over the top, even though it does, it, it does kind of border that when we see Johnny Depp walking away from that conversation, just asking, you know, to spend more time with his kid and she's like paid child support, you know, mm-hmm. so we'll see what's going to happen. It, like you're looking at two people who are like, wow, this is what it's come to. They're having child support conversations, and he's walking away wearing what he's wearing, looking like how he looks. It's just sad. It's just exactly. really fucking sad. Got a little pot and belly. Yeah, it is. It's sad. <laughs> yeah, and it's not. It's not comfortable. And we we've been watching a movie where you know this is the thing we were talking about earlier about it glorifying this lifestyle. That's what I'm saying. Did you stick around for the last half hour? Yeah. For like last twenty minutes. <laughs> no glory here. And like, and I, I think back to that era when I was a kid, and I would look at adults that seemed like they were unhappy people, mm-hmm. and I would think to myself. I wonder if there was ever a time in your life where you were like, like, were you always miserable or was there ever like a point where like things were going good? Like you had a job that you loved or there was a person, there was people, but now all that's gone Mm -hmm. and you're just this. That's what this moment reminds me of. It reminds me a lot of those sad like adults that I would see as a kid and just be like, wow. You're just unhappy, and now this is what these two have resorted to. It's just a, a very real thing. 
unfortunately. Mm-hmm. It's what all of us strive to never have happen. <laughs> well, yeah, I don't need to, I don't strive for like having uh, hundreds of millions of dollars in my well, apartment. Yeah, yeah. Nobody, no, but I'm saying like, if you yeah. don't, if you don't reach that big, maybe your fall won't be that big. You know, I think there's some yeah. uh, living life in moderation. And as his dad is saying, are you happy? That's all the yep. only thing I care about. And he can't even really give a straight answer. I, yeah, you know. Uh, yep. Talked about a lot along the way. We've even touched on most of this cast, but let's go in on him. Ethan Supley, who was who I knew well from American History X, playing the best friend Edward Norton. Now he's here as Tuna. Totally different dynamic. He's so kind and joyful and loving. But I'm sure you had a relationship to him from the Kevin Smith movies. When Blow came out, yeah. This dude is in everything. If yeah, you look up his IMDb... Have you seen shows- him recently? Oh, yeah, he's jacked. He's jacked. He's so cut. No, he he's awesome. And yes, and from all the Kevin Smith movies, classic stuff. I just love him as Tuna. I love how everyone's accepting of him. You know, big Tuna. Does he look like a cop? <laughs> it's so true. Yeah, like, yeah. <laughs> no, he doesn't. And speaking of the... The love of his life that I like to view her as the great Franca Potente as Barbara. We might remember her from The Born Identity. Yeah, yeah. And Run, Run Lola, Lola Run. Run. Exactly, yep. exactly. That's why she was cast. Yep, this is a good time period for her. These were all the movies that she was kind of hitting big. She's great in it, and I do love that calm energy that she's bringing to it. Like, yep. if you you know, if you want real weed, like, I can j- introduce you to my guy, Derek. Like, it's fine. Just very chill. You know, Barbie. Like, I love her in it. I love her dynamic in the restaurant before the nosebleed. You know, she's, yeah, really represents that heart. And this is, his life is very different if Barbara doesn't pass away and they stay married. Oh, like, yeah. his life's very, very different. Maybe even to the point where she's like, I don't think we need to get into this cocaine business. Like, we're making plenty of money from weed. Can we just hang out and do this, please? Yeah. We have this huge house. Like, <laughs> that's a great scene, too, when she loves the house and love it. T- we'll take it. Oh, I love we'll that. We'll take it's it. so oh. good. I mean, he would have done everything. I mean, there's a, there's a beautiful line in the VO of when he's speaking about Ray Liotta when Rachel Griffiths comes back from abandoning them. Mm-hmm. And he goes, but every time he took her back, he loved her. Yeah. God, did he love her. And I feel like that's kind of how he felt about her. Right. He's like, right. would have done anything. Max Perlick as Kevin Dooley, who we already touched Dooley. on. It's just so fun to mention Max Perlick because great character actor from things like, you know, Drugstore, Cowboy, Rush, Cliffhanger, Maverick, yep. the original Maverick. <laughs> the original Maverick. <laughs> With Mel. Georgia, uh, again, that movie has my favorite. Jennifer Jason Lee, go check it out. Also in Beautiful Girls, directed by Ted Demi. There's a lot of good supporting work in here. Really iconic performances. But yeah, seeing Paul Rubens oh. walk out from those beads and it's like, hi, I didn't I didn't know he was going to be in the movie. My mom didn't know he was going to be in the movie. And I, she like gasped out loud and went, oh my God, it's Pee Wee. And he's so good in it. Like, he's so... My, my favorite scene of his is at George's 38th birthday party when he comes oh, back yeah. and he's all... There's a lot of regret in there, a lot of shame. He's very buttoned up now. He's apologetic. And then when he sees Penelope Cruz and he's like, my God, is that her? She weighed 80 pounds? <laughs> like, I love that Ted Demi gave him a chance because, yeah, like, this is an actor who post peewee did not have the best uh, he had a very public 90s and early 2000s very public personal trouble and it's cool when i talk about ted to me he's like ah fuck it all attitude like yeah whatever i'm gonna give him a role in this he's gonna be really good and he is and it really really he holds is. up it holds up very very well 
you might look at it as like um, stunt casting. Some people could say that, but it's not. No, nope. it's just really not. It's just an actor doing a really good performance. That's all. That's all it is. It fits with all of the character actors that we're going through. Like th- th- this movie is so well cast. I think this might be the reason why people equate it to Mag- um, Boogie Nights is because you've got this supportive cast that's so memorable. Yeah, everyone in this movie feels like a very memorable piece of it. And I think that's that's got to be where that comparison must come from. Yeah, Jordi Maia as Diego oh. is like that's his it's his first American film. Again, he had been in some stuff. Penelope Cruz actually recommended him to Ted to me, which is cool. Again, yeah, like so <laughs> he's just so uh colorful. Like there's two ways to get out. One, you can escape. <laughs> <laughs> like the way the way he laughs to himself, he said he's like playing with that little brush. But oh my god, when we talked about it, when George goes to visit him and holds the gun to his head, he looks so fucking gone in that scene. You know, so by, gone by by the terrible, like the unshaven oh. beard, the sweat. He does a line right before it. Like he just, yeah, he's completely gone, and it's terrifying. Yeah, it you're really like, is. You're you're looking at a person that's not them mm-hmm. at all. Mm-hmm. Like that, like that that state that that drug has taken them over to the place where in that moment they are not that person. Yeah, you're completely just checked out. And then, yep, I cannot overstate how important this role was for Penelope Cruz. How important this movie was in terms of her relationship to American audiences because she'd been in good movies before 2001, just not really in America. But Open Your Eyes, Live Flesh, All About My Mother. She plays Matt Damon's love interest in All the Pretty Horses in the year 2000. But Billy Bob Thornton directed that movie, and that movie was just butchered by Harvey Weinstein. Um, I'm reading the book right now by Cormac McCarthy, and I can see all the stuff that was left out. But, it, you know, it's a decent performance. But in 2001, she's in Blow, Captain Corelli's Mandolin, and Vanilla Sky in rapid succession. And Captain Corelli's Mandolin was not a good movie, but they marketed the shit out of that, and she was everywhere, all over it. The movie sucked, but whatever, you know. Vanilla Sky is a remake of Open Your Eyes from a few years before, and she's playing the same role and doing incredible work in both, but that anger, that coke rage that she gets to and blow, that drinking and smoking, I mean, she gets to be like a fucking animal in that car scene that we're talking about. Don't ever touch me, motherfucker. This has always been one of my favorite performances from her, and a rage that she gets to that we haven't really seen from her a lot since. And I just, I'd really like it. She's so strong in this. It, she is. And and she's got that range because she's not in too many scenes. Right. But every ones that they are, there's a certain side of her that's revealed. Like, I do love the scene where he comes back and he's, you know, he just got his ass kicked and he just got cut out from the business. And, you know, he just tells him like, you know, just tells her like, we're getting out. Fuck him. And she's very like she's like right there from she goes yeah fuck them yeah and she and it's very sweet very tender and then yeah then it cuts to her let's have some fucking fun yeah, with this whole huge like fishbowl of cocaine you're like oh my Coke. god <laughs> final cast members as we're rounding out here do you have anything to say about the great Kevin Gage as Leon you know who Kevin Gage is you mean Jesse James no it's Kevin Gage <laughs> played Wangro in Heat which we talk about a lot in episode fifty seven that was a real doozy in our deep dive on Heat. Yes, Kevin Gage as Leon, and then Jesse James as young George. Those are two completely different actors. That's all. Yep, yep, yep. I, I have nothing to say about Jesse James as, your, as young George. He did a great job, but I will talk about Kevin Gage. He was great in this. Like He really feels like he was exactly that type of guy. Yeah. I think that's what's great about him 
is like in Heat, he feels like that guy. God, he's so and terrifying as Wayne Grove. And he's so terrifying. And in this, he's not terrifying, but he does look like that guy, like mm-hmm. that older, middle-aged kind of guy who's, yeah, you want to make a deal? We can make a deal. We can, I'll provide this, I'll provide that. But I think it really all kind of comes to that end scene where they've completed the deal. Yeah. They're in that warehouse, which looks like a stage. It looks like theater. Yeah, like it, does. It's, it does. So so much of this movie is theatrical in so many ways. Well, and, and I referenced that earlier, but when those cops come in and it switches to slow motion, the way they like clear the stage and they each take yep. their chair, that's such a the theater spotlight? thing to do. Exactly. That's such it's, a theater it's such thing a, to do. And I love that reveal of that moment because the, the, to the spoiler of this is like, you know, that he's been set up. Mm-hmm. He's been set up by everyone that he knows, including Dooley, who is working, you know, undercover to save his own ass. Well, and Derek and, and Paul Rubens because he calls and, yeah, him and, first. Yep, they don't show yep. any of that, but he's like, I need some work. I need something quick. So, yeah, yep. they, they conspire to and, screw him over. And, and, you know, and you're on this ride where you're like, all right, he's just doing this one job so he can take his kid. You know, and that's what Johnny Depp says to him. He goes, last fucking score, last job, you know, I'm going to make a new life for myself. And he goes to the bathroom, and I love that. He goes, oh, I feel like a fucking kid again. <laughs> and then the camera pans back to them, and you know something's up. And, you know, Kevin Gage is sort of like, yeah, I like him too, but what's done is done. Yeah. Like, now you know that it's not going to go well. And that moment that Johnny Depp has where he realizes it's my favorite moment in film history when a character has realized something. Yeah. It takes my breath away every time when he just goes, no. All that energy comes out on that on that line. It, it just, it floors me every single time. You know, he's like, what matters most? Like, nothing mattered me except I broke a promise. Oh, God. Yeah, the repetition of that didn't bother me. That didn't bother yep. me. Oh, yeah. And then she's just sitting yep. there waiting. We've made our way through most of the movie here. Any final thoughts? What do you think of the end? Which part specifically? So, okay. So what do you think of the... He basically is imagining that his daughter has come back to visit him. Yeah, it's just in his head. Yeah. Now, do you... Do, like, because I know some people that see this movie, like, get very confused. Like, is he... Does he have dementia? Does he... Is he crazy? Has he lost his mind? It's just thinking too much into it. It's just a little magical I think realism. So too. It's not... the My favorite part of that is when it... All of a sudden, they're hugging, and then it cuts to him from behind, and she's little again. And he's yep. just holding her yep. when she's little. And then he cut back, yep. and yeah, she just fades away. It's just like, he's getting older, and that is a longing that he thinks about every day. Like, he every would day. love to have a reunion with his daughter. It ain't happening here, but it shows us, like, if he did get it, how he would react, like, how yep. what he would say to her when he embraced her. And it's probably the one thing he wants most in life. And my assumption is that he just, at least while he was in there, you know, he didn't get it. He did just, he did get released and he did pass away recently, as we just, yeah. as we talked about in our 25th hour commentary. It's funny because Monty Brogan would have been in Otisville the same time as George Young. <laughs> Oh man, they <laughs> because were... it's 2002. George Young wasn't set to be released until 2015. I'm just saying, two drug dealers, they're in there. They could have gotten a lot of work done. Could have gotten a lot. They could have got a lot of work done. Yep, <laughs> they would have been a huge. They would have been a huge team. A, t- a team of two fuck ups. That's one of my favorite lines too. Oh yeah. Yep. Now think of my 25th hour sequel, 26th hour. Monty comes out with this education that he's gotten from George Young, and like he's gonna take over heroin in New York. No, I don't know. My final <laughs> thought, final question is. Below, thankfully, some movies we talk about, everybody wants some. You can't find anywhere <laughs> unless you pay for it. Blow is usually around. Right now it's on Netflix. Yeah. It's usually on something. So 
that goes to say this is an easy movie for people to check out. It's an easy one to recommend in terms of access. So someone hasn't seen it or maybe they saw it in 2001 and haven't felt the need to revisit it. Why, as your favorite movie, just, you know, sell me on it as a final thought here. I, I would urge someone to check this out because I think there's just more to this movie than what everyone thinks about it. I like again, like this, it's not a movie that you haven't seen before in terms of what the content is of the story. There's so much more heart mm -hmm. in this movie than I think people realize. Yeah. And that's, that's the biggest thing. Like that end scene where George is talking into the recorder Ugh. and he's delivering his final message to his dad. And we cut to Ray, you know, listening to it. If that moment doesn't get you, like there, there are certain like tear jerking moments mm -hmm. that are. I mean, that's what film does. We, we, it manipulates your emotions. But like, that's one of those ones where this movie is chock full of moments, of moments of emotion that really, if you let them and and take them for what they are, cut really deep in a in a beautiful and not beautiful way. I would encourage people who who haven't seen this to be open to watching the movie for those things, not necessarily the story of a drug dealer coming to rise and fall. That will be there. That will be the ride. Pay attention to what's going on in between. Well, I think that's a note that the critics, when this was released, could have uh, could have done them a service to kind of take that in a little bit because there was a very surface-level read to a lot of the reviews. And, you know, yeah. this can happen because they're writing them so quickly after they see them, but... If you go and it clicks in for you in like minute 10, this is a Goodfellas knockoff and Boogie Nights knockoff. So I'm just going to look at it surface level. I don't know. It's just not fair to me. It's, and it's also, again, kind of lazy. Like there is more to the movie than just carbon copy knockoffs. And I that's the final point I want to hammer home because unfortunately, unfortunately, there are a lot of people out there who base their movie watching decisions off of like let's say rotten tomato scores and this is not a good one there's a lot of rotten tomato scores that are bullshit there's also a lot of like critics reviews that just don't age well and i think this movie is aged very well i think the loss of ted to me and now ray liotta makes it again more nostalgic not upsetting just uh it's just kind of sad that's all it's really sad actually but if you are a fan of Ray, I promise he's given a great, great performance in this. It is not as much to do as Henry Hill, but there is a lot of excellent aged work here. And this wasn't an old oh. dude. Like, go watch Identity two years later. Like, he's in shape as that cop. Like, he's he's in good shape. Like, this isn't, yeah, yeah but he just, he ages and it's in his shoulders and it's in, ugh, it's just all, all here in his voice. Oh, it's so good. He steals every single scene yeah, he's in. He does. Like he really does. I mean, th those are arguably, arguably, every scene that Ray Liotta is in is the best scene of the movie. Yeah, yeah. Like I, I would make an argument for that. But you know, this is an, uh, an interesting movie for me because people will ask me like when if they don't know like what my favorite movie is, and I say it, I get the exact same reaction. They all go, "Really?" But not in like a dismissive way, like in a way of like. That's your favorite? Like, of all the movies you love, this favorite? And I give them my personal reasons for it. Yeah. But they all say the same thing. They're like, you know what? I'm going to have to go and check that out again. Exactly. I think a lot of people have seen this movie once and maybe judged it for its surface and not necessarily yep. gone back to it or revisited it. And I'm saying yeah. there's a lot of things that make it very rewatchable. There's a lot of fun stuff to it. And there's, you know, just killer soundtrack, yeah. great acting. It's just, it's a good ride to go on and definitely has more depth than 
whatever the critics were pitching in 2001. Yeah, final thoughts are like, let this movie in more than than you may have before, or if you haven't going into it, just let let it in. It 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 knows what's doing, and you're in the hands of a really good director. And at the very end of the day, if you don't like the movie for its content or all of that, you are going to watch a very very captivating performance by the movie star of his yeah, time. Yeah, absolutely. So we're gonna move right on to what are you watching? I'm gonna go first today, fucker. Wow. <laughs> I actually wow. all this had time. this one for the Goodfellas <laughs> pod, and I had a whole little blurb written about how I was tying it to it, and then I remembered and rewatched Jules and Jim, and that, as strange as it seems, that definitely fit better into the Goodfellas podcast. So I just gently moved Sexy Beast, directed by Jonathan Glazer, also released the nice. same year as Blow, 2001, moved it right over because Goodfellas slash Blow... These are movies about a young guy trying to break into the drug-slash-gangster life. And Sexy Beast is about an aging gangster trying to get out of the gangster life. It has tons of style, a great, very unique soundtrack, great acting from Ray Winstone, Ben Kingsley, who's just a force in nature. I really, really love Sexy Beast, and it's something, it's like a low-key one that I quote a lot just in daily life. I have the, the most obscure references to it, but... This really fe- this also feels like a movie that was influenced by Goodfellas, similar to how Blow was in different ways. But you know, a lot of people talk about Birth. It does well on Twitter with Nicole Kidman, Under the Skin with Scarlett Johansson. But if you've seen those and you haven't seen his first Sexy Beast, just go back and watch it. This movie is great, and it's one that I revisit uh, probably once a year. I've been in love with this movie ever since it came out. So that's my recommendation: Sexy Beast. Excellent recommendation. Yes, sir. Yeah, you do You do pull the most obscure quotes from that movie. I think they're hilarious. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> You're going. You're fucking going. All right, so for the first time ever, I'm going to go second. And uh, I'm going to re- Who went first out. on um, Vortex? Who went first on Vortex? Who recommended Antichrist? Perfectly. Talking about Vortex. You went and recommended that weak shit. Oh. <laughs> All right. So uh, I am doubling down on Johnny. I'm recommending a movie from his early 90s career that I think is one of the reasons why he is the actor of that generation. Uh, Benny and June from Ooh. 1993. Wow. It is a deep cut, sweet, quirky movie about two very eccentric characters finding each other in a, in a simple world. I don't want to say too much about it. I highly recommend it. It's a it's a it's a really good example of what '90s movies were doing at that time. You know what's funny about this movie to me is I remember hearing about it and getting Jesus and getting confused. And when I finally checked it out, I watched Henry and June, which is uh, oh. an incredibly uh, different experience. It's rated NC-17, starring Fred Ward <laughs> and Uma Thurman. And I remember I was young and being like. I mean, just Johnny Depp in this, and he is not. But yeah, Benny and June is like a very good, like physical comedy. It's very, it's very yep. unique for what for what we come to know as a Johnny Depp performance. Th- this was the movie I think I watched the most with him. I I would put this movie on loops. Oh yeah, I would just watch it over and over and over again, and I I I just it's it's delightful. God, I haven't seen it in so long. I genuinely since I was a kid, so I might have to go recheck that one out, but. 
All right, here we are. This is your show. Anything left before we sign off? Favorite movie of all time. You will never get another chance to talk about this film on the podcast. <laughs> I, you know, uh, yeah, I know. Like, there's, there's, there's no way that'll ever happen again. <laughs> Shout out to Dennis Leary. That's how I'll wrap it up. <laughs> Great. Yeah, making it happen as a producer, putting his weight behind it. And we know, you know, I've seen him in interviews. He was completely heartbroken when Ted Demi died. So yeah, shout out to Dennis Leary. Shout out to Ted Demi. Rest in peace. Ray Liotta, rest in peace. We love you. We miss you. It was a lot of fun doing these deep dives on Goodfellas and then Blow. It's a lot of fun to dive into Ray. I'm still going to miss the guy. I'm still going to be rocking my Ray Liotta shirt here for yep. as long as I can remember. But as always, thank you for listening and happy watching. Hey everyone, thanks again for listening. You can watch my films and read my movie blog at alexwithrow.com. NicholasDostal.com is where you can find all of Nick's film work. Send us mailbag questions at whatareyouwatchingpodcast at gmail.com or find us on Twitter at W-A-Y-W underscore podcast. Next time, we're going to rap about everything we've been watching this summer. New movies like Nope, Rewatches, We're even going to get some new TV in there. It's going to be a lot of fun. Stay tuned. Uh, say the her name. I can never say it. Franca Potente. Yeah, but talk about her. I mean, introduce. Oh, talk about (laughs) talk about her. (laughs) (laughs) I'm saying say it. Then talk about her. So I don't say it. Fucking German names. I'm not good with them.